Welcome everyone to the George Sanders Show, our first show back on American soil after our terrible journey to uh, the hinterlands of Canada. The heart of darkness. The heart of darkness that it is. Uh, I'm back in my closet, <laughs> as, as things should be. Um, and uh, we are going to touch a little bit on, uh, we'll do a final VIF wrap up in the middle of this show today. But today, the show really is a tribute uh, to the um, recently departed uh, Chantal Ackerman, who passed away, uh, what was it, like a week ago? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. So we're actually going to talk about her debut feature uh, today from 1975, 74, excuse me. And we're doing French titles today. And that language and my tongue just don't mix. Uh, So I'm just going to say the English translation. Sean can give you the French title if you want it. Like all proper English features, uh, speakers, I... (laughs) Like all proper English speakers, I take pride in my mispronunciation of French words. So yeah, I can't. I just can't do it. Which strange, you know, it's strange about that. I'm an amazing French kisser, so I don't know what's going on here. I don't know why I'm only getting half. I'll, I'll, I'll take your word for that. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we're talking about Ackerman's debut film. Uh, what is it? Her? No, wait. Me, you, him, her. I, you, he, she. <laughs> I can't even do the English right. Nope. Um, and then we're also... Je to LL. There you go. Uh, and then 1965 is our year in review this year. And so we're tying this all in with Agnes Varda. Um, who is also a woman filmmaker who speaks French. That's right. That's that's the link yep. there. And uh, her 1965 film, Happiness, uh, which is not the Todd Salon's film. Uh, uh, Le Bonheur. <laughs> that's right. Um... <laughs> And we'll be listening to music from uh, someone that shares a name with Ms. Ackerman uh, throughout the show. And she is also a woman who speaks French. That's right. Yeah. God, it's amazing how we can thread the needle so well every <laughs> every episode on this show. I'm just amazed that we could find three French women. <laughs> yeah. Or French-speaking women. I know. To be clear. <laughs> because Chantal Ackerman is not French. That's right. Is it, Well, is it, Agnes Barta isn't either, right? I, I think she is. Are you sure? I don't know. She was born in uh, Brussels, Belgium. Hey, how about that? So there you go. All right. Uh, so without further ado, uh, let's hear a clip uh, from J'ai tout il elle. Hey, did that do it? Uh, yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> this will likely be the sound of Chantal Ackerman eating a bag of sugar. Yes. Like all good podcasts, film directors eating sugar. That's that's absolutely right. That should just be a whole podcast. Just that would be Chantal Ackerman's podcast. Yeah, just the sound <laughs> of movie directors eating sugar from a bag. Right. I would listen to that. That's how I get through every episode, to be honest here. Yeah. I've got a bag right next to me. Well, being a vegan, you have to get your nutrition somehow. That's right. <laughs>
Huitième jour, le neuvième, j'ai recommencé la deuxième lettre et j'ai mangé beaucoup de sucre en poudre pendant huit pages. Et j'ai barré, raturé. Il est resté quelques lignes. J'ai arrêté de manger et je me suis tue. J'ai recommencé à écrire des jours après. Okay, that's a clip uh, of Chantal Ackerman eating sugar. Uh, she is the star of uh, J2 Il L. Uh, she plays, I think her character actually has a name, unlike anybody else in the movie. I think she's named Julie uh, in that. Uh, and it's a movie, uh, it's kind of divided into three parts. The first part is her just hanging out in her apartment. She kind of moves the furniture around. Uh, it takes place, it, it's about a month or so that she's in this apartment. Um, and we're getting her narration of what she's doing. And she's not doing much. She moves the furniture around. She writes a letter, uh, which then she revises in different drafts. Uh, she eats a lot of sugar, as Sean mentioned uh, before the clip there. Um, she gets naked, just kind of hangs out naked for a while. Um, and then a month is up or so, and she goes hitchhiking. She gets picked up by a truck driver, um, and they go eat food in restaurants, and then uh, he kind of makes her give him a hand job. <laughs> and well, then, he, he politely requests one. Well, yeah. yeah. It's not like a, a force. It's not a rape. Thing. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But, um, and then, uh, then she goes to uh, her girlfriend's house, uh, and ex-girlfriend ex-girlfriend's ex house and they uh, eat some sandwiches and then they both get naked and they kind of wrestle for a bit it's kind of awkward and then they kind of have sex for a bit and it's kind of awkward uh, and that's the movie <laughs> so it's kind of evenly divided into those three portions there yeah, um, the I, you, and, and then the he, and then the she. Right. It's all there in the title. Yep. Um, it is a movie that does exactly what it says it's going to do. Exactly. And uh, it, if anybody's seen, I mean, the most famous Ackerman film, and the one that we've talked about on the show, a film that actually, as of this year, is now part of our top 10 sight and sound poll, our recurring poll, or uh, whatever you call it thing, list. Yeah. Um, but the most famous movie that uh, Ackerman is responsible for is uh, Jean Dielman. And anybody that's seen that will kind of know. I mean, the DNA of that is in this. Uh, would you agree, Sean? Yeah, there are there are certain similarities. It's it's very different in a lot of important ways. But the then the kind of the 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 pacing built around repetition of these these long scenes where seemingly nothing is happening uh over and over again um that is very similar but in a lot of other ways i think it, i think it's i think it's really different in, in just the kind of, of of perspective the the narrational nature of it um yeah 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 this one there's so I much mean... there's so much more talking in this one yeah, like this is less than half the length of uh, of Jean Dielman, and there's probably twice as much, twice as many words spoken, either in in dialogue or in narration. 
Right. Well, and the first 35 minutes is just narration because it's just her in the room. Um, right. Well, it's, it's narration followed by long static shots. Well, and that are often just that. of of Ackerman herself just just standing there looking out a window or something or just eating out of a a bag of sugar, right? Or lying on a a cot or whatever. Yeah, it's not it's not uh, like she she narrates that she she says that she's going to do something and then the film shows you her doing it and then the the shot continues as opposed to just cutting to the next bit of narration. It it holds on it for. Uh, a lengthy amount of time. Well, and what I was noticing about it uh, that I thought was kind of interesting is, and I'm, and I may have to go back to, to, to see if that's in fact what happens, but it seems like uh, as it goes on, the narration and the actions kind of flip. Like originally I think you start seeing her do something and then she starts narrating that she's doing it. And then like halfway through, she starts narrating something that happened, but then it doesn't happen for like five minutes or not five minutes, but you know, it, it seems like there's like a delay or there's something weird. And that was, uh, I found that. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that there's like a, a strict pattern to it. It seemed to me that, that sometimes the narration would precede the action and sometimes the action would precede the narration. It, it didn't, it didn't seem to follow any particular pattern that I yeah. could, that I could discern. Um, and that way, it actually it actually um, reminded me of of, of Ho Shao Shen, who uh, in in uh, some of his films that have narrations like like Millennium Mambo or or The Puppet Master will have the voiceover talk about something before or after the event is depicted on mm -hmm. screen, uh, which is which is really disconcerting. Like you you get like a in The Puppet Master you get like this long scene of a static take and you have no idea what's going on and then after the 10 minute scene is over then you have a narrator telling you a story and it the story is what you just saw happen right so like you're you're in a mystery and then the gap is filled in for you yeah and i like that here because like when she says something like i looked in the mirror at myself i'm like wait she hasn't looked in a mirror yet right and then she looks in a mirror and i'm like yeah there you go uh so it's those little things uh that that you like um and you know I, the movie works as a whole um but if i had to break up those sections uh i think that for me i that opening section was uh the the best um i really enjoyed just kind of hanging out kind of like I did with uh, Jean Dielman where you kind of just watch her doing her thing. Um, that... And, I, and I, I think it's a really good depiction of that kind of depression you get into post breakup, you know? Yeah. That's, it's like the most emotionally kind of resonant section for me. It's kind of just capturing the feeling of, of loneliness and just yeah. kind of being alone with nothing, yeah. with nothing to do. Uh, and just yeah. patiently depicting that. Yeah. You know? I mean, like it, it's, she never rushes it and it's never boring. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I definitely responded to that section uh, the best because, you know, my experience writing uh, with a bunch of truck drivers, you know, has been vastly different than what <laughs> I, I, uh, the most enjoyable section for me, like I thought that was like the most kind of resonant one, but the most enjoyable section for me was uh, the, the first part of the truck driver section where she's just like hanging around with the guy and they're not talking at all. 
occasionally right. she she narrates something and you'll see his mouth move um but you won't hear his voice mm-hmm. the the whole section leading up to their sexual encounter which is followed by a long monologue from him which which is good uh the actor uh, uh Niels Erstrup is uh is good and he uh is still working today he was in Warhorse Oh he was Yeah he was the grandfather in in Warhorse Oh my gosh Yeah he's had a, a very lengthy career um uh, he was in uh, the Jacques Odiard film, A Prophet, which I haven't seen, but apparently he's very good in it, and he's in a bunch of stuff. Um, yeah, he's very good here. Yeah, that, that monologue is, is, is very good. Uh, and then I think the, the ex-girlfriend, I think, I think uh, that is the lead-up to that, to the, uh, the awkward sexual encounter is, uh, is interesting as well. Kind of the make-me-a-sandwich. <laughs> right. <laughs> Get get the Nutella and make me yeah, a sandwich. It's like a with butter and Nutella. And, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I couldn't go down that road. I tell you, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the whole movie is interesting. I just, um, I I didn't know what to expect going into this. I had, I, I mean, I was om- I was as, like blank slate as po- you possibly could be. Yeah, um, it was, uh, same with me. And so I thought maybe we would just be in this apartment with her for 90 minutes. And I, and I was like on board. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's, there's great stuff that comes after that. I actually really like the shot of um, when, when she, I think it's the first shot when she leaves the house and it, and it's, and it's uh, a shot looking down on, on kind of a bunch of different uh, on ramps. Yeah. And she's, and she's down there hitching a ride, but you don't notice her cause she's so static. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, you don't even notice her until like she puts up her arm or something to try and wave down a car. So you just see all these cars and you're like, is she in one of these cars? What's going on? And then all of a sudden, oh my God, she's been in the frame the entire time, but she's so small after seeing her in her room where she's obviously dominating the frame because there's nothing else in the room um, to see her out in the world and be, um, you know, kind of uh, shrunk down to size, so to speak. Is uh, interesting. Yeah. That's another, that's another thing that, uh, that's another effect that that you see a lot in in Ho Shaoshan films, and it kind of kind of speaks to the importance of of uh, Ackerman as a as a director, as like a pioneer of this minimalist film style, which uh, eventually became kind of the dominant international art house festival film style. Uh, here she here she is in in the mid seventies, kind of pioneering it in a way kind of it's growing out of like Antonioni and you know mm-hmm. other other uh other directors but uh like she's she's a key figure in that transition absolutely no it, it definitely seems um to be a precursor for a lot of stuff that's that's come since yeah i don't i don't know uh i also watched uh news from home Yesterday I watched I watched this movie and, and news from home yesterday, which is uh, uh, a film she made it was released after these. Like it's a uh, it's hard to say. Like Jetu Il El was made before John Dielman, but I don't think it was released until after uh, that. That kind of uh, the chronology of her films is a little complicated because right. she had trouble getting distribution for them, as as you can imagine why. Uh, right, IMDb's news... yeah, IMDb's release date is like ten years after the movie was made. Yeah, news, yeah. news from home though was shot between nineteen seventy one and nineteen seventy three, which is before 
she made Jotu Ill and it it consists of uh, of long takes on location when she's living in New York, and it's just it's just shots of the city streets, uh, and in voiceover, uh, Ackerman reads letters that her mother sent her from home. Mm. Just kind of mundane stuff like uh, your dad's feeling sick. We're thinking about selling the shop. Why don't you write more? I spent $20. <laughs> Did you get it? I'm glad you're having a good time. Did you find some shoes? St- stuff like that. And right. it's uh, it's really good. It's Yeah, it sounds amazing. Yeah, it's kind of an, an amazing movie. And, and I kind of wish uh, we had picked that one to talk about instead. <laughs> uh, cause... You afraid of the lesbian sex there, Sean? Uh, I'm not. I just I, I I feel like there's like more to talk about in News from Home. Like like it, it's a movie that affected me a lot more than Jotu Il L, which I think is like this great kind of document of of sadness and depression following a breakup and just kind of the the complicated lives of of young people. But uh, News from Home strikes me as something something entirely new, whereas Jotu Il L is something mostly new. If right. that makes sense, right? Um, well, I, yeah, I, I'm I'm eager to check that one out. These these are both in the uh, Eclipse set that uh, was released a few years ago from Criterion yeah. uh, of Ackerman's stuff in the '70s. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, have, I, I, ha, have you seen any of her other movies? I have not. This is actually my second. You know, and I, yeah. I and I feel bad about that, not just because she's dead now, but uh, you know, I have been touting Jean Dielman for years now. And, yeah. uh, uh, and, um, I mean, a lot of her stuff has been kind of hard to get until this eclipse set and the criterion stuff to be, you know, a little fair, but, uh, yeah, the only, yeah. the only other one, uh, that I have seen, um, I've seen the, the two shorts that are in the eclipse set also, um, uh, is, uh, night and day, which is from 1990 and is a totally different kind of film. It's, it's almost like a, a traditional kind of romantic drama about mm-hmm. a, a woman who has uh, a boyfriend during the day and then has another boyfriend at night. And it's kind of, it's really kind of almost like a musical romantic drama. Mm. And it's really, it's really lovely. And it's much more kind of conventional genre wise while still being like really sophisticated and smart and really well, well done. Right. Sure. So I'm like, I'm curious about, uh, a couch in New York. Yeah, I know. I'm looking at the, when you look at her filmography, it's like, yeah. where, where, how do these sync up? But you know, from what I know about her, she definitely did seem like a very uh, kind of restless artist, you know. Um, and I feel like her work, you know, she, she, I could see her flitting between, you know, stuff like that. Yeah these these are all these are all movies that I have like intended to watch for a really long time, and it's it's kind of sad that it took her dying to actually get me to watch them. And yeah, feel, well, you know, what are you gonna do? <laughs> I mean, at least we are now and we're talking about it. And, yeah. you know, I went to Scarecrow to, to rent this and her shelf was completely barren, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, it, it's like, a, it's a natural thing. Like when somebody's in the news, either for good or, or sad reasons, you, you get interested in you, you go and watch their movies. Yeah, and 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 the movies will live on. Her art will live on, you know, longer than 
anything you and I will ever do. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, you don't think we'll still be doing the George Sanders show 40 years from now? Well, once we're going to, you and I are going to have to kick the bucket someday. And I'm just saying, <laughs> I have a feeling people may be watching the movie uh, long after we f- finish talking about it. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. You don't want to talk about death. I understand. Yeah. Uh, um, what do you think about the fact that she just eats sugar out of a bag? Because that is really weird. No, I, I don't think it's weird at all. I feel like it's totally... Have um, you ever eaten sugar out of a bag? When I was a kid, uh, yeah. I, well, my, Seriously? My, my, dad, uh, my dad's cure for... It was like a spoonful of sugar, right? Like, was the cure for hiccups. Which I, it was just psychological. It didn't actually work. Um, no, but... of course not. It just rots your teeth. <laughs> I know that now. I haven't done it in a long time. Um, it made me wonder how how literal how lit- how literally we are supposed to take that first section and and in a lot of ways, you know, all the film as a whole, how much it is actual, how much it is something that it's created, uh, if it's connected at all to the letter that she's writing. Like, is is her narration come from that letter? Is that why it changes so much? Like in, in the opening, like where she's putting the mattress, is it in different drafts? The mattress is in different parts of the room. Uh, are the See, later two sections uh, necessarily, uh, do they actually occur in the order we see them occur? Because I kind of wondered if the breakup with the girlfriend uh, that we see at the end when she leaves the girl, because the first line of the movie is I left. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that she does at the end of the movie. So it made me wonder if it's a loop. If that yep. scene with the girlfriend is actually the scene of them breaking up. Right. And then she goes, has a fling with a truck driver, and then she locks herself in a room. Or if the thing with the truck driver is just kind of like a representation of kind of, of freedom, of like meeting boys and doing things. And, and the conversation with the truck driver is like a glimpse of her future. As she grows up as the truck driver, he gets married and he likes his wife, but, eh. you know, they, I, I they mean, get old and he likes his time alone and he picks up girls and it's just sucks. I won't, I won't dismiss that theory out of hand. I mean, I think that's entirely plausible. Um, I, but going back to the sugar thing, I think the sugar thing is is such a great kind of specific thing that taps into that depression that she's going through. That's something someone depressed would totally do. Well, it's, it it works if it's like, like the most extreme kind of uh, self-destructive gluttonous behavior you can think of. Like, I think most people, when they break up, don't, don't eat sugar out of a bag and, and nothing else. They, 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 they'll like eat ice cream or, or candy bars or, or drink beer or something like that. But it's, but if you're, but it's but just it's like the it's like the a funny version of that. <laughs> I'm telling you, there are people out there eating sugar out of a bag. It's happening, okay. And you need to deal with it. I don't. I don't. Uh, believe but it. no, it's, but it exactly. Maybe it's, it's different in in Belgium. Well, I think um, <laughs> one that looks way cooler on film. You know, like when she's like, if she was just sitting around drinking like a two liter of Mountain Dew, it'd be like. <laughs> It wouldn't have the emotional resonance that I think it does when it's a bag of sugar. And then the bag of sugar comes into play. She spills it on the letters and all those things. Um, I think yeah. it's it's a, it's a terrific prop. 
It's a, exactly. Yeah, Sugar it, is a and terrific it, product. it really gives her something to do, and it gives you it gives you something to watch when she's just sitting in this room by herself. The way that she like stabs the spoon into the bag and jabs it into her mouth, and yeah, it's, yeah. I actually it's yeah, I really cool. loved the scene where she was just constantly feeding herself sugar. <laughs> I was just like, just keep going. Just keep uh, going, Ackerman. And I love that she like takes her clothes off but then just drapes them over herself. Right. Like she can't she doesn't really want to be naked, but she just can't bear to wear her clothing. Yeah. Well you gotta shed your, you know, well that and and yeah, and that's it's like a, a symbolic kind of thing. It's like she's Reverting. She's shedding it, but she, she needs comfort, you know. And she's yeah. reverting to a natural state, but she's also—it's cold in her it's room because it's—it's it's it's winter. Snowing. It's snowing outside, and the the weirdness of her, of her front door, which you think is like up high, uh, so you, she has like what? the 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 front doors are <laughs> are these are about? these two big windows, right? Up high. Up high, yeah, like it's oh, up, it's an apartment on like a. <laughs> Uh, like a second or third floor because she looks out and you think she's like looking down and then all of a sudden you see somebody walk past her front door and it's just open glass and she's just lying on her bed naked eating sugar and like apparently strangers just walk by and look at naked Chantal Ackerman eating sugar right and that's Uh, just the thing that makes more sense than a pie which I was like what the hell there's no pie pie. there's a bag of sugar there's no actual food (laughs) right right (laughs) Uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's a good it's an interesting movie, and um, you know I am really interested in in diving deeper into uh, Ackerman's work, and I, I you know I I'm into her style. Let me say that. Yeah. You know, she's got you know, and she's got stuff stuff's going on. I mean, it may not look like stuff's going on, but stuff is going on. This stuff is definitely going on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna take a break, uh, and we're gonna listen to Chantal Goya. Uh, from the masculine feminine soundtrack, uh, the Godard film, which that's that's sixty five too, isn't it? Or is that sixty six? I believe sixty six. Damn it! Uh, so yeah, here's a track off that. It's totally awesome, and we're gonna play the whole thing because every song is like two minutes long. Yeah, this is a uh, two matro monti. <laughs> Tu m'as trop menti Tu connaissais mon adresse Tu ne m'as pas écrit Tu m'as fait trop de peine Quand tout au long des jours J'attendais que revienne L'écho d'un plus beau jour Je ne crois plus en tes promesses Tu m'as trop menti D'autres filles à ces promesses Ont déjà dit oui Amusant de mes larmes versées pour cet amour Amusant de mon âme, tu me laisses à mes jours Tu m'as trop menti Je n'ai plus que la tristesse Pour croire à la vie 
implorant l'existence qu'un jour tu comprendras. Et pour ma délivrance, je pourrai croire en toi. Je pourrai croire en toi. All right, thank you, Mademoiselle Goya. Uh, So our last two episodes we recorded from the Vancouver Film Festival. We talked about a number of films on those shows, and on one of them we talked to to our pal Melissa. Uh, that was cool. She was our first My ever... My mortal enemy, more like it. Oh, she was our first ever <laughs> guest on the George Sanders Show, and you, you call her your enemy. That's right. That is, that is harsh. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, I wanted to kind of uh, devote like the middle section of this to just kind of a, a big picture view of the festival, just kind of what we thought about it as a whole, and maybe talk a little bit about some of the films that we didn't get a chance to talk to on those other two shows. Like I know the last film that we saw when we were there was a particular favorite of, of both of us. So do you Yes, wanna, it was. Do you want to talk a bit about that one? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was my favorite of the fil- of the festival, um, which was a great send off. Uh, Zsa Kaz, uh, Mountains Made Apart, which uh, is just sublime. I it's funny because you know A Touch of Sin, which was uh, Zsa's last film, uh, was I I really really enjoyed that film, but there are a couple moments in that movie where I felt like it was a little too obvious. It was a little too on the nose with the the commentary it was trying to make. Uh, and what's funny about mountains made apart is it's like so obvious the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I embraced it way more in this than I did in, in that. Um, uh, and it's, I mean, yeah, I, I just had a wonderful time. It's a very divisive film. A lot of people are uh, having trouble with it, um, which I think is just kind of weird <laughs> to say the least. I, I think um, a lot of that has to do with the the genre, with that obvious and that obviousness that you're that you're talking about, and and I think it's a generic thing. I think you just like melodramas. Like I think I think you prefer Mountains Made Apart to to A Touch of Sin because I think you prefer melodramas to kind of violent uh, social realism. <laughs> Oh, you're you're that you're pinning that on me now. Yes, I am. <laughs> what, is, that, is, that, is that a fair statement? I, I I'll take that. I mean, uh, I don't know if it's a fair statement. But kind of I, kind I, of a, a musical melodrama kind of thing. But, but yeah, I feel like I, I feel like you know I'm willing to meet the movie halfway, and and this is what it this is what's going for, and I think it, in what it goes for, I think it succeeds completely. I mean, I think it's just. A fantastic movie. It takes place in three different time periods, uh, all represented by a specific, a different aspect ratio, mm-hmm. which is fun for the geeks. Um. <laughs> Apparently, that that is to match the documentary footage that that Jaw is interspersed throughout each section, uh, which is so well done. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's really great because you see this kind of you know clearly shot during that time, and then the next cut will be mimicking it looked like it was shot at the time with the same camcorder or whatever um but then the characters from you know the actors will actually be in the scene um and it's super cool (laughs) um yeah so i mean do you want to explain the plot a little bit there sean uh well it's a it's it starts as a love triangle with uh 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 playing uh who is uh, amazing 
yeah, we, uh, she will come up on our uh, awards episode, I'm sure, <laughs> coming up at, at Oscar time. I think uh, she's likely to get a mention uh, because it's it's the best performance by anyone I have seen in 2015. It's so good. It's so good. She's she's really good, and it's 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 really interesting because I've always like suspected that she's a really good actress. I think we talked about her when we talked about Platform, uh, like a year and a half ago. We talked about that that movie. Mm-hmm. two years ago um but because jaws always shot things in in long shots with really long takes without like close-ups uh you've never really he's really seen her act like a traditional actor acts uh, movie actors are, are taught to act in close-ups because for like emotional high points you want to see their face and and jaws style up to this point has deliberately avoided that so yeah, I've always thought she was a good actress, but this movie like confirms that she's not just a good actress in long shots. She's a good actress in a traditional uh, classical style yeah, of, she of nails filmmaking. It. Yeah, which is to just say she's amazing in close-ups. She's yeah, she's yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, she has to choose between a rich guy and a poor guy, and she chooses the rich guy. And then it cuts ahead 15 years into the future, and she's divorced, and the poor guy is sick and comes to visit her, and then her dad dies, so her son with the rich guy comes to visit her as well, and they kind of try to connect, even though they're growing increasingly distant. And then it cuts 15 more years into the future, to 2025, and the son is all grown up and has forgotten his mom has forgotten China and has forgotten Chinese and starts dating Sylvia Chang, who is his Chinese teacher. Right. Yeah. Which is dope. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's like the most like a uh, absurdly Oedipal scenario. Oh my God. You is, can think is, of. Like, like I said, this is not, uh, you know, this is broad strokes here, people, but, but, but Sylvia Chang is so good in it that it, it, it almost, it's it's believable you can totally. you can see Absolutely. like you can see just kind of like her she's got a past as well and you can see the these two kind what? of damaged people finding solace in each other despite the the obvious age and acting talent gap between <laughs> them i didn't think everybody thinks the kid uh, the guy that plays the adult version of the kid is horrible i thought he was fine i don't I, really... he's he's fine but he's he's in scenes but with sylvia he, under the bus, yeah i mean it's sylvia chang I mean, I come on she's i think she's she's better here than she was in office and Absolutely. and you know how much i loved her in office no she's so. she's fantastic yeah. and it and it's so and it's so great to see her name in the opening credits and then have her pop in like an hour and 20 minutes into this thing i had actually <laughs> forgotten that she was in it yeah so i was really excited when i saw her name yeah uh so yeah it's great i it was the best of the festival um i i really really enjoyed it and um i hope people catch up to it and and uh have a, a, the same experience as me but uh like i said very divisive <laughs> people yeah. are not not too uh there are a lot of people that are kind of angry at this one uh and they are silly and and stuff but anyway um yeah. Also, also, also decisive is one that we've talked about on the other two episodes, and that's the assassin. And I just want to say that the people who don't like it are wrong. Uh, <laughs> and, Wait, is there is there like people that like hate it? Yes. Oh, really? 
See, yes. I'm out of the loop. I don't know what's going on. I was I was like facetiously ret retweeting one uh, 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 critic who who claimed it was inept. Oh my gosh, inept. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that is is confounding to me. I've also seen like a number of of uh, of you know serious minded uh, arguments that it doesn't bring anything new to the wuja genre it doesn't <laughs> it then at the same time it's being criticized for not following the rules of the wuja genre which is is a fascinating contradiction to me and it's it's one that i actually addressed i i i did write one big review for the festival like most of the reviews i wrote are of the the shorter variety uh but i wrote like 1400 words on the assassin and i have like barely scratched the surface of my thoughts on that film. Did you watch it again? I haven't yet. I've been, uh, I've had like some other stuff I've, I've needed to do, but uh, I will be watching it again and again and again. <laughs> uh, that is, that is easily my favorite film of the festival. Yeah. Uh, it's my uh, favorite. It's, it might be like my favorite film of the decade so far. Woo. That's 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 high praise there. Yeah, I, I um, really liked it. Well, I do want to see it again. I definitely do. And I, mm -hmm. you know, I, I know I was razzed about it uh, on the show, but uh, I, I think it's good. I mean, I'm you know, I'm just not, you know, foaming at the mouth here. Um, but I, it's very good. I want to see it again. So I actually read uh, one one review by uh, a a terrific critic. I think it was uh, uh, Michael Koreski in in Reverse Shot. Uh, uh, very good, and his uh, his review is 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 great on all of the important things. But uh, the way he describes the plot is not how I understand the plot at all. So I'm really curious to rewatch it and see which of us is mistaken, because <laughs> what he thinks happened in the film is not what I think happened in the film. Mm, interesting. So yeah. That is very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then some other stuff. You know, I can't remember exactly what we did talk about on the on the last show, but uh, that I doesn't matter. Was... Nobody listened. I know. Uh... <laughs> Nobody's listening to this one either. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are we doing here anyway? Um, but I think a few of the last the last couple of movies we saw the treasure. Did we talk about that? We did not. Uh, the Porumboyu, uh, which I liked. Uh, I didn't like it as much as Police Adjective. Yeah, we, um, we should we should talk about that one because because we did talk about Police Adjective in our our kind of warm up for the festival. Yeah, it's there's some great stuff about it, and uh, you know, if it wasn't for Mountains Made to Part, uh, it might I it might be in the front running for. Oh no, actually no, Taxi also. But uh, there's some movies with great final shots. Yeah. Uh, this year now that i'm thinking about it because mountains made apart holy cow oh yeah that final shot is incredible and you know the yeah. assassin and the assassin <laughs> and taxi um yeah. uh, but but the treasure you and i both when we walked out of it we were like how we we were both kind of wondering how poor and boy was gonna stick the landing mm -hmm. on that one and uh it's pretty awesome but yeah the treasure is about um uh kind of a harebrained scheme kind of harebrained scheme uh this guy he's kind of a government official uh you know paper pusher uh who gets roped into searching for treasure uh, that his neighbor thinks his like great grandfather had buried in their backyard or something so they get a, a metal detector and they go out and they kind of tear the place apart looking for it um 
and it, you know, it kind of deals with the same themes of, you know, contemporary Romania and, uh, you know, the, its history and all those kinds of things. And it's funny. It's not as funny as, as you pointed out, there was a guy in the audience that thought that the, just the sound of the metal detector was funny for some reason. Yeah, like every time it beeped, the guy just laughed his ass off. And, and Which... <laughs> I, I wish that I liked any movie in my life as much as that guy liked like that metal the sound of a beeping metal detector. That was weird. Yeah, that was... That was really weird. That was obnoxious. Um... But it does build, like I said, it, it, the movie's fine, it's good, it, it's enjoyable, um, but it builds to a really, I think, a really cool, um, surprising ending. Um, yeah, it's it's very sweet. It's, if you, if I did not know that it was the same guy who had done Police Adjective, I would not have guessed that. Yeah, like I can see that. I think, I think both films are very funny, but the kind of humor is is much more, it's much sillier and sweeter in the treasure than it is in, in police adjective. Yeah. Police adjective. There's a lot more. It's bitter. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a darkness to that one. Whereas this is right. more of a, a fable, right? Uh, it's a good fable, but, uh, it's not as serious. I don't think. Or, right. Well, no, that's, I agree. that's not a, that's not the word I want to say because I hate that, uh, things that are, that are lighter aren't, considered no always, that's not a yeah, yeah that, not it's not it's serious not, is not a bad thing yeah right no i agree with you on that yeah uh another one i will really liked is is speaking of sylvia chang is is the movie that she directed this year uh called called murmur of the hearts and i think you did not see this one yeah i ended up going to see i think i saw something stupid instead yeah that was that was a <laughs> poor decision by you because murmur of the hearts is is really good it's it's this really ultimately really sweet family melodrama about these children who have become separated who were separated from uh their parents their parents split up when they were kids and one the daughter went with the mother and the boy went with the father and they grew up in different areas and and completely lost contact with each other and they're now adults and they kind of, the cosmos kind of reunites them in this really kind of magical way. And, and Sylvia Chang uh, doesn't really let on what exactly is going on in the film until very late in the game. So for a long time, it's kind of inexplicable what's happening as you, you follow this woman played by, by Isabella Leong, who has actually been retired from acting for, for quite a while. She's really great in... Uh, this 2006 film by by Pang Ho Chung called uh, Isabella, uh, but uh, but she got married and then and like quit acting. Uh, but this year she she's back and she's the the lead here and she's uh, the grown up daughter and uh, she's an artist in Taipei I think and she's dating a boxer who has his own kind of uh, uh, family history issues. And you see these three characters and you don't really know how they all necessarily relate to each other. And they have, you get like flashbacks to when they were kids and they all have kind of ghostly encounters with this like guardian angel figure who's like this uh, uh, Chinese guy with glasses and like spiky uh, frosted hair and like a really loud shirt. And he's like this little fat guy. And it's, uh, it's kind of neat. <laughs> 
it's it's a it's a it's a really very sweet melodrama. It's, it's the kind of movie that uh, it won't it won't like blow you away or anything because it's it's something that you have seen before, but it's really well executed example of this this style of of filmmaking that I think is uh, that the Taiwanese do really well. Well, let me ask you this question. So, uh, and I think you mentioned this in one of your reviews, but uh, Sylvia Chang now has Office this year, mm-hmm. uh, that one, and then Mountains May Depart. Yes. Uh, which, uh, not just of her contribution to it, because uh, she did something different for each one, but uh, mm-hmm. which is which is the, the best of the three? Of the three films, or which is yeah. the best the, thing best that she did? Films. Uh, yeah, three I think Mountains May Depart is my favorite of the three yeah. films. I think Mountains May Depart, then Office, and then Murmur of the Hearts. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure which is the thing that she did best. It's probably her performance in Mountains May Depart. Yeah, it's pretty bitching. It's probably the best <laughs> thing she did this year. But it it's such it's it's ama- she- it's amazing that that this actress who's been around for for almost forty years now. Uh, is having such a remarkable single year. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's really cool. It's really And cool. I I really hope that this kind of makes her a more known name in in kind of cinephile or, or critical circles because she's been directing movies for 20 years. She's been a movie star for 40 years, uh but she's almost entirely unknown in the United States. So hopefully uh at least with the the Johnny Toe film and the and the Jaw film, her her name is is getting out there more, and people are are kind of starting to explore her work because she's done a lot of great stuff. Yeah. Uh, and another film that we saw, maybe this is the last one we can talk about. Um, yeah. But uh, it was right after we recorded the last episode. Uh, mm-hmm. We were actually uh, downstairs from a you know right before a screening of My Golden Days. Um, which is the new uh, displacement film, uh, which we did uh, Christmas Tale on the show two Christmases ago. Yes, uh, and uh, it's another one that I really, 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 really liked. <laughs> um, I think I liked it more than you or Melissa. I'm pretty sure, but um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a film. You know, it it, it I haven't seen, and you haven't seen the. The, it's it's tied in with one of his earlier films. So yeah, it's a it's a prequel life. to a, another film. It's like my sex life or how I got into an argument. I think it's uh, the title. Yeah, and, and what I like about this movie and and I and I mentioned it in my brief little review of it. Um, and the reason I think I'm drawn to his films and why they they affect me is there's something there's some sort of emotional specificity about what he does that taps into something with me like it just feels so right and it feels like all of the little bits even though they haven't happened to me uh per se you know i didn't uh you know i didn't go behind the iron curtain <laughs> to do any sort of you know they're, they're, this takes place in the 80s and it's 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 basically you know uh first story of first love or whatever and and the love that you could never really get over or whatever um and while none of the actual incidents in the film happened to me, for some reason, it feels so real to me um, that I pretty much ate most of it up. And um, and I felt like there was a lot. Th- it really felt like a Truffaut film for me, not just because it kind of seems like a meld uh, melding of like 400 blows and Jules and Jim kind of with a love triangle kind of thing. But even filmmaking wise, there's these these 
things that he does where like an iris and and all of these kind of things that you totally see in Truffaut stuff and i i yeah i think i think he's very very consciously kind exactly. of following just, in, in a Truffaut tradition i was just about to say that it's it's yeah. absolutely intentional mm-hmm. um but that doesn't mean it's not good. And I, yeah, I, I thought it was really a, a solid film. Yeah, uh, that is it. It is a film that that I liked, but I don't really. I didn't. Uh, I didn't like it as much as a lot of other people seem to. And I don't know if it's like a a misconception thing. Feel love, Sean. Uh, it's it's it seemed. It's a lot like the Olivier Sayas film, uh, Something in the Air, which came out uh, three years ago, it seemed to me, which is also kind of a, a coming of age, uh, early, late teens, early 20s, young love, trying to find your place in the world kind of film. That is a film that was a lot more interesting to me than this one. Yeah, I haven't caught up to that one yet. And I and that's yeah. actually one that I've wanted to see. Um, and and would look for and and like I, I should say um it, you know i really liked it it's not in my top five from the festival and it's not nearly as good as a christmas i think a christmas tale is a perfect movie i just love that movie yeah what what i what one of the things i really love about a christmas tale and uh and also kings and queen which is the film he made right before that which is the only other dave Lachan film i've seen is uh there's like kind of this there's like a, a like a dark twist to it like there's you know, a bit of a, a perverse kind of skewering of family relations to those films and to the depiction of the protagonists that I don't really see in my golden days. Right. Like, even though, like, the, the, the main character uh, doesn't necessarily behave well, uh, there isn't the kind of, of twist that you get in, in those other two tales where he it's... becomes, like, a really complicated figure. Like, he's... He's sympathetic the whole way through. I feel like there's a little bit of that with the kind of wraparound story, um, but but I know what you're saying. It's not yeah. it's not nearly as lacerating as, as as that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's not there's nothing in my golden days to compare to like the scene of Catherine Deneuve and Matthew Almerich, uh sitting in the snow talking about how much they've always hated each other. I know. It's as so good. as he <laughs> is like donating bone marrow to keep her alive. Like the, just the complicated, like multiple levels of emotional, you know, connection with a a mother who doesn't like you, uh, is so much more interesting to me than anything in my golden days. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't disagree out of hand on that one. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for me, it's a film that is, that is just fine. It's not, you got, you got like a 10 minute standing ovation in Cannes and I don't really understand that. Whereas, like, I would still be applauding for the assassin or, or mountains <laughs> made apart. So, or the forbidden room, which is currently playing in, in Seattle, and I'm going on Thursday night. Anybody want to join me? I'll be there eight o'clock. Well, you and know, guess what they fucking ran on Saturday. I I know. I I wrote about it on our website, oh. SeattleScreenScene.com. <laughs> Bastard. I also tweeted it from our Twitter account at Seattle Screen. <laughs> Uh, they they uh, played yeah. Bring Me the Head of Tim Horton, which was Guy Madden's kind of satirical making of film of this Canadian action movie that is supposedly terrible that we haven't seen. Right. But, and yeah, I just, I really want to see Bring Me the Head of Tim Horton because it just sounds great and I missed it because okay. I was working. Uh, anyway, so that's our kind of our final, the dust has settled on Viff. Um, it's all done. It's in the books. 
yeah, I'm sure I'm sure these films will a lot of these films will um be showing up on our end of the year episode which we'll oh, do yeah, in uh, in Oscar weekend. Uh and if it's anything like like the last couple of years, I will continue to bring up these movies every episode from now until then. <laughs> right. <laughs> Because you're you're not gonna watch any other movies, <laughs> uh, because you know for for most of these movies they're either not going to come to Seattle or they're not going to come to Seattle until next spring, um, and they're going to be they're going to be the best movies of the year because right, Hollywood get... movies are crap. <laughs> I don't know. Did we see any Hollywood movies? I think I only saw one movie that was made in America, and I think it was the thoughts that once we had. Yeah, and that is not a Hollywood movie. Uh, it's already tomorrow in Hong Kong. It is an American film. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but that, that is not that, that was uh, terrible Hollywood. Uh, also, that I think that's it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Topophilia is an American film, but it is not I a missed, Hollywood film. I uh, Forty-five years is. A mainstream British melodrama, which is close to Hollywood, but not exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so good for us. Yeah, that's right. Well, <laughs> speaking of not Hollywood, uh, let's hear a clip. Let's move into our final discussion tonight uh, uh, from Agnes Varda's 1965 film. Say it, Sean. Le Bonheur. <laughs> So I don't know exactly what that clip was. It was probably either a trailer or else just a bunch of Mozart that plays uh, while a, a very pretty family frolics in the park and there's like lots of yellow and green and it's very beautiful. And that family uh, is uh, led by uh, uh, Francois and Therese who are happily married and they have a couple of kids they're all very cute. She works as a dressmaker. He works as a carpenter. And they're 
very, very happy. They are like the perfect family. They have lots of friends. They get along great. And then Francois meets a pretty girl who's even blonder and even prettier than his wife. And she works in the post hey, office. I wouldn't say prettier than his wife. Eh. And uh, and he he starts sleeping with her too, and she he's very honest with the uh, with the new girl uh, Emily, Emily is yep. her name, yep. uh, that he still loves his wife and he loves her too and he loves two women and he continues to be like super happy, uh, and then he it's tells his wife good. how super happy he is and I'm totally gonna spoil what happens here because you can't talk about this movie without talking about how it ends because that's the whole point uh he tells his wife about how happy he is and she's like that's great let's have sex and then she kills herself <laughs> and then he marries the new girl and then they're super happy and that's the end of the movie yeah it's pretty awesome yeah and <laughs> i really loved this movie yeah because because uh uh, Agnes Varda just kind of lets Francois just kind of follow his own whims and just demonstrate what an inhuman monster he is, <laughs> while at the same time he gets away with everything, which only yeah. makes it more inhuman. And the movie is so just ridiculously beautiful and sunny and happy, and it makes his actions all the more appalling. It's uh, I, I I called her a smiling assassin, and that is exactly what she is. Because I don't know that anyone has ever kind of twisted the knife into male sexual entitlement and and infidelity as in as lovely a way as Agnes Varda has with this movie. It's uh, it's remarkable. It's pretty great, and it, it is it is incredibly unique. And uh, the like you said, the fact that she uh manages to maintain the tone the entire time uh is awesome and it's gorgeous it, it's absolutely gorgeous i think i read that they had to like tint it afterwards because like it, the 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 film had been like fading while they were making it or something so the reason it's like super popping is because they had to go back and tint it all um and yeah it's it's really gorgeous and and yeah it's so it's it's and it's also a great it's great how, like you said, there's no moralizing. There's no, you know, there's no, he, he doesn't get his comeuppance. There's none of that kind of stuff. Uh, it's just like this, she's, 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 you know, just kind of silently watching this play out. And uh, it's just pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. It's just, oh, I, I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Um, what what I like about Agnes Varda, and and this is I think is a really good example of 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 what makes her so special, is how casually experimental she is. Yeah. Um, where someone you get someone like Godard, who is just like look at me, like which is fine. Like Godard is a showman, and 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 I wouldn't want him to do anything differently. Um, but whenever he does something uh, experimental with his filmmaking techniques or whatever, it is like he's got a bullhorn in your face, and he's like, "Check me out, I'm I'm awesome." Uh, whereas Agnes Varda does these things that um, she's not drawing attention to herself, she's not detracting from the story, she's not. You know, she's she. It's not flashy, but there's so many interesting techniques that she brings into this movie. Whether it's a scene, 
there's a scene where uh, Francois meets Emily, I think, uh, at the door of her apartment, and it cuts. It's a two shot. It cuts to him, then cuts to her, then cuts to him, then cuts to her. But she like speeds up the cuts until it's like, I mean, it's like super fast. Yeah. But she only does it for like, uh, you know, I don't know, four seconds or something like that. So it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's just it, it's just a really cool thing that she does. Um, there's a scene. There's so many great little things that she does. There's there's a scene where I think they're at a cafe or something and she shoots um, him like lighting a cigarette and the cigarette is like. It's shot from like the cigarette's point of view or something. It's like right. this gigantic cigarette um, and stuff. But but it's all in service to the story, and it's not it's not just cool. It's not a cool thing to just do. It's not like uh, a magic trick or something like that. She's just the best way to say it is, is she's just experimenting. But it, it's um, it, it's just fun, you know. Yeah, there's there's so much. It's such a fun movie. Like for as dark as it is, you know, thematically and in content, it's it's so much fun. Like there's there's like little little jokes. Like at one point, uh, 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 Therese asks Francois if he prefers uh, Brigitte Bardot or Jean Moreau, and then yeah, it, it, so it, it cuts to the carpenter shop where there's these pictures of Brigitte Bardot plastered all over his shop. Right. Uh, or there's a, there's like a, a dance sequence in the middle when he's in the middle of sleeping with with both women and it's like a, a neighborhood party and everyone is at this cafe and everyone is kind of dancing to this song and and they're switching partners as they go along and just keep dancing and you follow him as he dances with both women and you keep expecting something to happen but nothing is going to happen because it's totally perfect to his ideal world that he's that he's constructed uh yeah i i don't know i there's nothing i didn't like about this yeah I, the only yeah. thing i didn't like about this is that it made me feel bad that i've only seen two other agnes varda movies Ooh, i mean i haven't seen much more than you i've, I've probably seen six or so okay um uh is i take it this is your favorite varda uh, yes. The only other two I've seen is uh, uh, Cleo from Five to Seven, of course, and uh, and Beaches of Agnes. Yeah, uh, I've seen both of those. Um, I would probably say my favorite. Uh, I well, the, there are two others that I really, 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 really like. Um, one is one of her kind of essay films, like Beaches of Agnes, called The Gleaners and I, mm -hmm. um, which is just awesome i mean it just kicks so much ass um and then vagabond which she made in uh, i think 87 mm -hmm. um, which follows a, a homeless young woman um who's kind of just wandering around uh france and uh it's it's pretty heavy um and, and and it's it's a very very solid film so yeah agnes varda is really cool and you know it once again i've only seen half dozen but uh she's got so much stuff yeah i mean it's another it's another director where it's just like you can just go down the rabbit hole and bless her heart she's still going man yeah she's still I mean, working she's like she's in uh, she's at 87 she, years old she was in Chicago last week like presenting movies yeah she's got like a new movie out um, I mean she's just incredible uh, you know she's got 51 films to her, her you know credit um, according to IMDb and um, and she's been you know a powerhouse since the sixties, you know? Yeah. And she really, she really does tend to get overlooked in, 
in discussions of the French New Wave, or at least she did for a very long time. Like I think there was a generation of critics that didn't talk that wouldn't talk about her in the same breath as as the the Cahiers de Cinema directors or or Jacques Demy or Alain Rene. Um, but I think that's beginning to change. Like I think I think her her profile is going up as like a new generation discovers her films. Yeah, I think Beaches of Agnes may have been a turning point for part of that because. Um, well, and, and also just a lot of these films being available through through Criterion, like like Le Bonheur right. and and Le Point Court and. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely, definitely that, and also the fact that, like I just said. She's one of the few that's still kicking. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, most of these people are dead. <laughs> well, they're and they're they're all dead except for, for except for Godard. Godard, and, Godard, uh, yeah, pretty much it. Yeah, I think yeah. Um. So you know, so she's well, she's Luke, been able Luke, to Luke Malay and, and Jacques Rivette are still alive, I think. Um, but the point stands. But yes. yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, no, um, she she's definitely overlooked um, by everybody, including myself, and yeah. uh, and she's she's really good, um, and and it's it's cool to see this movie because um, I've never seen an Agnes Varda movie that looks like this, and going back to that color palette and all of that kind of stuff, you know, okay. Cleo from five to seven is very you know it's black, it's black and, and white but... you know it's got that kind of you know uh new wave kind of look to it or whatever um and then the stuff that she's been doing recently is all like shot on video you know handheld stuff which is you know got this immediacy to it um and then vagabond is much more of a bleak kind of thing and this is like jacques Demy coincidentally <laughs> just in the i mean what i love is uh, and this actually ties in a little bit with um, the Ackerman film is both of these movies have section the, when this, there's like a scene break um, in the Ackerman, it'll it'll slowly fade to black on mm -hmm. a shot, particularly in the beginning, in the opening sec section of that film movie. Mm -hmm. And this one will kind of explode into like this uh, just super colorful and it'll switch. It'll be a different color each time, but. You know, oh yeah, the just the fades to color. Just be, yeah, yeah, it'll just be pink, you know, or green then, or yellow, or green or... or yellow or whatever, and it's got this very springtime, I just eye popping kind of uh, look to it that uh, I was like, if you showed it to me, I w I wouldn't have thought uh, Varda at all, um, and so it's really cool to see um, this style from her because she kicks, she kills it. Yeah, the. Uh... The the new wave critics, the the Cahiers de Cinema guys, talked a, talked a lot about genre noir, and they love genre noir, and, and as well they should. But none of them, as far as I've seen, has made a movie as close to to the spirit and the style of of genre noir as this movie is. Mm. Like this is, you know, I I I don't think you could see Renoir making this film because I think it's much more kind of pointed. Like like she does have this this kind of message she's trying to get across but in in style and in in sensibility it it is him to a t uh so i i am curious if that if that holds up in her other films because i can kind of see that thinking back on cleo from five to seven which i saw like 10 years ago and is is really terrific uh i wonder if there if there's a connection there if she like sees an affinity with with renoir or not mm. Yeah, I can't uh, speak to either. 
yeah, it, yeah. Seems, it seems much more Renoir than it does than it does to me. Like I, I don't see much a connection between their films. Like, and they were married, well, but there's no, there's no reason to be. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just saying the color, like yeah. the color palette in this looks like, like it's got that sheen that something like. I mean, he's much more. He's got more of a studio kind of look to his stuff. But uh, just the popping of those colors immediately brought to mind something like uh, Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Well, the content is very different. Yeah, there's 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 a heaviness to Demi, even even in his lightest films, like like uh, Young Girls of Rochefort, that that is not evident here. Right. Yeah. Well, and this is such a great, you know, sometimes movies that have um, an agenda. I don't even want to say that this movie has an agenda, but there's obviously it do, a, it does have an agenda, but you don't you never feel it. <laughs> Until, yeah, until, it, it, until it hits you at the end and you're like, damn, she did that. It's never heavy handed. Yeah. And it's such a great kind of feminist. Uh, like it, it, it's not it's never bogged down in kind of ideals or anything like that. It's 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 this it, it is on the surface. It's this light and airy souffle of kind of, you know, this it's a confection um, that just happens to be filled with uh, poison. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great it's a it's a really solidly constructed and just like it 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 is a whole piece. You know what I mean? Um, like you said, you did, there was nothing in it that you disliked because it all builds to that finale. Yeah, and it's it all it all fits together. It all comes together so perfectly. And and up until the very end, I didn't know how it was going to to come about. Like I didn't know what was going to happen. Right. Yeah. And and, and, then, and and also and also uh it knows when it knows when to get out. Yeah. Like it's really short. It's only like eighty minutes long or something like that. Yeah. And she gets to the point they they walk off into the sunset together. Credits, you know? That's yeah. the, you can't end it anywhere else. So and uh, this is uh I think we said a, a film for nineteen sixty five and that is that is our our project year this year. It's where we're going to talk about the the best of 1965 uh, in our final episode of the year coming uh, Christmas week. Uh, and this film will it's I'm looking at my current list of 1965 films, and this is number three. Wow. So, and it's really not close. You know, we'll talk about that on the show yeah. uh, on that episode. Uh, I'm going to come out and say 1965, kind of a weak year. <laughs> uh, yeah. there, are, there are pockets. Uh, you know, American films in particular sucking it in the 60, in 65. Well, that is, this, it is, this is a transitional year. This is like the year the studio system died. Right. I mean, we, saw, we, British... we, talk, we talked about The Sound of Music. <laughs> And we talked about Darling, uh, to both Doctors of which Vago. were, and Doctors Vago, all of which were Best Picture nominees, and none of which we particularly liked. Right. Uh, yeah, but uh, I'm there, there is good how... stuff. No, there, 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 hey, there I, is, I, but there, there hasn't been anything. Like 1984 last year, there was like a ton of really amazing stuff, and I haven't really seen 
that kind of depth yet in 1965. But we have a lot left to see. Like I, I spent this morning making a huge list. It's like 75 movies long right now on on Letterboxd of uh, of films that I should probably watch. And yeah. of course, I'm not going to watch 75 movies between now and Christmas. Um, but I'm going to try and watch as many of those as I can. I, I don't really have anything else going on until then. Uh, and <laughs> well, we're going we're to gonna we're going to talk about a number too. of them. You know, when yeah. we come back at the end of the show, maybe we can talk about uh, yeah. our calendar for the rest of the year. But uh, we we're going to fill in some of our our own gaps uh, on the show, which will help us too. So yeah, and definitely uh, if there are any listeners out there with any suggestions for 1965, uh, feel free to send them our way either Definitely. through twitter or, or letterboxd you you have uh, a similar uh, 1965 watch list as well yeah mine is only 40 deep but i didn't i didn't yeah. uh I, I tried to get to the i tried to just list stuff that there's actually a possibility of me watching <laughs> oh well yeah i didn't do that yeah uh <laughs> but we'll see yeah. so yeah so uh definitely uh of the of the 65 films we've talked about on the show this year I think the Varda is um, the front runner for me as well. Oh yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> well, considering I kind of hated Darling and the Sound of Music. Well, and I didn't like Redline Seven Thousand, so you know. Oh, that's uh, another one we talked about. I I like that one, but but this is better. Yeah. Uh, well, let's listen to a little more uh, Chantal Goya um, with a song once again from Masculine Feminine uh, about pinball. Yeah, this is a C two Gagne O Flipper. Avec ma meilleure amie, 
welcome back to the show. Uh, so yeah, we did finally kind of come to a tentative schedule for the rest of the year. We've got another uh, five episodes left in us um, before we hit 2016. And uh, next show is going to be our Halloween spectacular. Um, we're going to talk about uh, two films, one from 65, uh, Mario Bava's uh, Planet of the Vampires. Uh, and we're pairing that with Goki Body Snatcher from Hell, which is a 60s Japanese film. Uh, and then it's basically we're doing ho- holidays the rest of the year for the most part. Uh, yeah, the, show, and, the show's lined up very well with, with the, the holidays. So. Yeah. So Veterans Day this year, we're going to do Major Dundee and the Heroes of Telemark. Uh, that'll be roughly around the 13th of November. Um, and then Thanksgiving, we're going to do, uh, there's the new Star Wars movie coming out. So we're going to do our blockbuster episode and we're going to talk about the original Star Wars. Uh, I will not say its full name or Sean will hang up on me. So <laughs> yeah, that's bullshit. The movie is Star Wars. <laughs> and we will also be discussing, we'll be pairing that with uh, Turkish Star Wars, uh, which is also known as the man who saved the world and is on YouTube. And it uses a bunch of footage from the actual Star Wars as like, backdrops for this turkish uh adventure film yeah and a bunch uh, of other movies and music apparently the main theme is like lifted from raiders of the lost art <laughs> it's gonna be quite an episode yeah. uh and then december we do our annual we got our two parters uh the first one in december on around uh the 11th will be the 2015 discoveries where we both pick a film um of the other person that they saw for the first time this year that, uh, that we also haven't seen that we also haven't seen, uh, and, and discuss that. Um, I believe last year was the year we did, uh, coffee and Shanghai blues, Shanghai blues. Was, was that, that, no, was that Shanghai no, blues? no, no, no. Oh, it was golden chicken. Golden chicken. That's right. Uh, and then finally on Christmas or around there, we will do that aforementioned best of 65 show. And we'll talk about, yeah, we'll, we'll pick two, 65 movies also to talk about on that show but we are not going to pick those until until later we'll see what we manage to get through between now and then right um but yeah since um the next episode is going to be hitting right around halloween uh my rep pick this week will actually be for halloween the castro theater in san francisco which i've mentioned time and time again uh is doing not a single not a double they're doing a triple feature on Saturday, October 31st, on Halloween, for $13, you can see on 35mm, Night of the Living Dead at 3.30. Uh, and then a new 4K restoration of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre at 5.20. And then back onto the 35mm, we will get uh, The Evil Dead, the original, at 7 o'clock. And uh, that sounds like a lovely time in a gorgeous theater with a lot of blood and guts. Right on. Uh, uh, my pick this week is is right here in Seattle at the Northwest Film Forum, playing uh, November second through November sixth. Is uh, a pair of Agnes Varda films, uh, Jane B. Par Agnes V, which is a kind of uh, a portrait uh, Varda made about uh, the actress Jane Birkin, and uh, that is paired with Kung Fu Master, which is a film that Birkin talks about in the first film about wanting to make, and so Varda went ahead and made it. And uh, it stars Birkin and uh, and her daughter Charlotte Gainsbourg. And it's not about kung fu at all. It's about a uh, the name comes from like a, a arcade game that some characters play in the movie, which is a little disappointing. But what are you gonna do? Uh, yeah, I would love to see Agnes Varda's like martial arts film. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> 
But uh, th both of those are playing at the Film Forum, and I should probably go see them because I haven't seen either of them, and Agnes Varda is amazing. Yeah. Uh, and also, as we said before, Film Forum through Thursdays running The Forbidden Room, uh, mm -hmm. which we both loved at uh, VIF. So check that out. Yeah, uh, you can find... they, also, they also have coming up later uh, a Taxi, which we both loved. Oh, yeah. That's in, that's in November. And they're playing the, uh, the Frederick Wiseman film on November 20th, which oh, did not oh. play in Vancouver, but it will be playing here in Seattle for a week starting November 20th. So uh, I'm Don't really, I'm really, all the goods. I'm really looking forward to that one. That was one of the, uh, the major films that didn't play if that I was really hoping to see there. So that's uh, Jackson Heights, right? Yeah. in Jackson Heights, yeah. the, uh, uh, it's, uh, about the, the neighborhood in, in New York. Right. Uh, yeah, so you can uh, find out more stuff from us uh, at the georgesandershow.blogspot.com where that calendar I was just referring to has been updated for the first time since March, I think. Thank you, Sean, for doing that. Uh, we are You're on welcome. Twitter at geosandershow. Uh, we have an email, thegeorgesandershow at gmail.com. And then, of course, the uh, seattlescreenscene.com website is where we wrote about all that VIF stuff. We will eventually write about other stuff if we have the time. Um, it would be nice if you wrote something. You haven't written anything in like three weeks. Uh, I am. I think I'm tentatively writing about the animation show, which is coming up uh, pretty soon to, to somewhere. Yeah. I haven't so, written anything there either. So, ah! uh, <laughs> But Melissa wrote something about the assassin, and it's pretty cool. And uh, and our pal Neil wrote something about Mountains Made Apart, and that is also cool. So. There you go. There, there is stuff that has been written there in the last two weeks. <laughs> Just not by us. <laughs> we're lazy bastards. You know what we are? We're like the cigar puffing CEOs. You know, we're behind the scenes. We're the Louis B. Mayers. Well, I've written I've written like the little sidebar things. I, I wrote one on on My Fair Lady today, and that's playing this week. That's an awesome movie. It's that's so much cool. better than The Sound of Music. <laughs> uh, see, that's why Melissa's my mortal enemy. It's mm. more like. I'm her mortal enemy because she likes the sound of music and she can't stand the fact that we don't. So, mm. well, yeah. she doesn't know what she's talking about. That movie's terrible. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah. Until next time, uh, you know, keep on keeping on. Uh, you know, everybody, everybody, eat a spoonful of sugar uh, before the next show. And uh, in salute of Sean. You know what? Mary Poppins, also a hell of a lot better than The Sound of Music. Mary Poppins is freaking amazing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's not as good as My Fair Lady, but... but It's pretty good. Yeah. Cool. All, All right. right. <laughs> Here's George. Yeah. Just a kiss, a sigh is just a sigh. The fundamental things apply as time goes by. And when two lovers woo, they still say I love you. On that you can rely. No matter what the future brings, a 
Case of Dwadar. 